This is the story of Fanny and Stella, two Victorian young men who were cross-dressers, who liked to sing on stage in drag. And when they weren't singing on stage, they liked to walk the streets and sell their bodies. This section is called A Tale of Two Sisters. A Tale of Two Sisters. It might have formed the plot of a burlesque melodrama, or been a story in an illustrated penny magazine, or even a front-page report in one of the more sensational weekly newspapers. By a terrible twist of fate, two sisters are separated at birth and grow to womanhood, each unaware of the existence of the other. Both sisters are sweet, kind and beautiful, and both of them are the object of many handsome and rich beaux. But both sisters are inexplicably sad. They feel a curious sense of being incomplete, of being one half of a whole. They sense a lack, an absence, a void in their lives. Something is missing, or is it someone? Both sisters live busy, useful and fashionable lives in London, filling their time with society, shopping and good works. As they go about their daily business and as their paths inevitably cross, London society is, after all is said and done, not much more than a large gossipy village. They sometimes have the strangest feeling of having met before. Fanny, the elder of the sisters, who speaks perfect French, uses the phrase déjà vu. Stella, who is musical, feels something similar, like a heard familiar melody from the dim and distant past that she cannot quite place. After many vicissitudes, hair-raising escapades and improbable adventures, after some songs and dances and a few comic interludes, the scales fall from their eyes and a benignant fate reunites the two sisters who fall weeping upon each other's necks and vow never again to be parted on earth or in heaven. So it was for the sistering of Fanny and Stella. The heavenly spheres were aligned and Fanny and Stella had come together as sisters. Fate had brought them together, two halves of a whole, now united, now conjoined in joy. And having found each other, Fanny and Stella were loath to be parted. By night and by day they did everything together and went everywhere together. To the theatre, to the halls, to the boat race, to Bond Street and to the Burlington Arcade, to parks and pleasure gardens, to dives and divans, to balls and cheap dances. Up and down and down and up they promenaded and paraded the streets of London, sometimes in drag and sometimes out of drag, and sometimes half in and half out, which confused and confounded everybody and meant that no one could be quite sure who or what they were. They hunted and searched and scoured the streets, looking for men, for love or for money, sometimes finding neither and sometimes finding both. They wore the same clothes, the same paint and the same coiffures. They stood in the same way, their slender feet neatly pointing outwards like a ballet dancer's, their heads slightly thrown back, their gloved hands invariably holding a cigarette or a glass of champagne or a bumper of sherry. They walked arm in arm and alike, adopting a rapid, tit-upping walk with their noses stuck in the air when they wished to have no truck with the world. Your mincing and theatrical walk, Louis Hurt, another of Stella's ardent swains, had once disparagingly and despairingly called it. Or a slow, bottom-rolling, leering and lascivious royal progress, which caused everybody, 
foes and friends alike, to stop and stare with a look of horror or delight or a mixture of the two upon their faces. Many, if not most of those who encountered them, thought they were either whores or actresses, or both, as, in the minds of most people, the two professions were indivisible. Their life was a performance, London was their stage, the world was their audience, they were exotic, extraordinary, and quite magnificent. They always said the same thing, was the hapless Hugh Mundell's attempt to explain the extraordinary manner in which Fanny and Stella spoke in concert. They said the same things at the same time. One would begin and the other would finish. Fanny would echo Stella and Stella would echo Fanny. And when they spoke, they spoke with the same inflections, intonations and affectations. They used the same gestures, the same mannerisms and the same facial expressions. They laughed in the same way at the same jokes, and the same things displeased them, their brows contracting darkly in the same way. And though they spoke the Queen's English in loud and well-bred tones of command, they were also masters, or rather mistresses, of common slang, of the argot of whores, and the backslang of thieves and trampers and gypsies. Above and beyond that, they had their own special language, a language into which only they and their confederates the Sodomites, the Hermaphrodites, and the God-only-knows-what-elseites had been initiated. It was called the female dialect, or so Fanny, the fount of all wisdom on matters sodomitical, had informed Stella. And it was as old as time, or nearly so. It was a strange and secret language, an upside-down, inside-out sort of dialect, where she meant he, and he meant she, where men were called by women's names, where Frederick was Fanny, Ernest was Stella, Amos was Carlotta, and Cecil was Cecilia, or Sissy for short. Most of the men styled themselves just plain Miss and Mistress, but there was no shortage of those who liked to call themselves Lady This, the Countess of That, or the Dowager Duchess of So-and-so. There was a positive glut of princesses, and more queens in the few square miles of London than there were kingdoms in the wide world for them to rule over. They were sisters, side by side and shoulder to shoulder, sisters for better or for worse, sisters in sickness and in health, sisters in drag and sisters out of drag. They made a formidable and fearless pair. London stood before them, waiting to be conquered, ready to fall at their feet in a swoon.